Our city is designed so that you don't have to interact with the place. Sometimes you can be a passenger in your own home. You can get on expressways that will take you over or around neighborhoods. You can take the subway under the city and then when it comes out from the ground, it pops up high over it. So how can we really know our place? How can we engage our landscape? Well, there are some interesting ways and we're excited to talk about them with our guest today on this episode of What Are You Reading? where we talk with interesting Atlantans about books. I'm Ian North, the Student Ministries Director for Open Table Community here in Chambly, Georgia. And I'm Tim Rose, a media producer here in Chambly, Georgia as well. And we are so excited to talk with our guest today. She is the lead cultivator at The Exchange, Keisha Cameron. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And we're going to get into your title and all that you do really soon. I'm so excited. Yeah. But first, we're going to go around and talk about what we're all currently reading. So do you want to start, Keisha? Are you okay with starting? Yeah, I, awesome. can, <laughs> I, can, I can do that. Um, I don't read any one book at a time. I uh, have a popcorn <laughs> style uh, with books. So, And a lot of times it's uh, through Audible now just because... Mm being a farmer and being out in the garden or working with the animals, I, I can't physically have a book in hand, mm-hmm. um, which I generally like to do. But um, currently reading Nell Irvin Painter's The History of White People mm. for context around uh, race as a social construct mm. and um, mixing history with some fiction reading Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Um, We were revisiting that from my college days. And uh, Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy. It was on uh, one of my son's high school reading lists, and I thought it would be good for me to try and dig in. And then that's mixed in with at least (laughs) 15 or 20 other titles, which we can probably touch on as we we talk Mm -hmm. a little bit later. But some some around farming, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of history. So, okay. That's awesome. Great. Man, yeah. those are. Looking I'm forward to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of them. Uh, Ralph Ellison has been, Invisible has been on my shelf, like just waiting for me to pull it off. It's yeah. good. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to. And we've had guests up. also mention Just Mercy. And yeah. the two books that several guests have mentioned are Just Mercy and Tattoos of the Heart that yeah. come in. And I have not read either yet. <laughs> yeah. Eventually. I'm finding Just Mercy um, an easy read. Uh-huh. I'm enjoying it. Um, challenging content for sure, but yeah. it does give, it just helps, I think, in light of everything that we're seeing, give context to some of yeah. the the discussions. I, I, I'm not a believer that things are as clear, cut and dry or simple as we tend to like mm-hmm. them to be. So yeah. Yeah. things are way more nuanced and it's good to have, have a little bit more background. Yeah. It, I'm I'm a curious person by nature, so yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's right here. We're I think we're all yeah we're all fans of questioning everything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, until until you get exhausted and then yeah. you, you have to yeah. you know tap out sometimes. Yeah. that's then, when I go outside to the garden. Yeah. that's awesome. And so, we we intended to have a debate about like do audiobooks count as really reading the book? <laughs> but when we asked my brother was a guest on here, Eric North. Uh, when we asked him, it turned out we were all unanimous that, yes, it counts. There really That's wasn't great. much of a debate. Yeah. We were like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we get any opposing viewpoints. <laughs> so yeah. I think especially, like you said, being outdoors and just even just with having, like, if I'm around the house doing chores or whatever, and I can't, like, you know, you can't hold a book and read while you do the right. dishes or whatever, I'll just pop in headphones and listen to a book. And right. um, so it, it counts. It yeah. counts. It does count. <laughs> or in the car. <laughs> right. What are you reading, Tim? All right. So I am revisiting a book that I... I'm really sad. I stopped reading about six months ago. 
and not even intentionally. It was just one of those heavy, dense books that I really need to take a break from. And then I just never got back to it. And it's a fantastic book, though. Um, about a year ago, I was able, uh, through work, to visit Peru. And so in, whenever I visit another country, I kind of look up the authors that are famous or popular in that in that, uh, in that that nation. Mm-hmm. And so in Lima, I grabbed a book by uh, Mario Vargas Llosa. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, the War of the End of the World. And uh, it is fantastic. But one page, I mean, it takes you... So, it's such a dense read. Yeah. And it's about this uh, small city... Um, I believe in is it Peru? Brazil. In Brazil. That's yeah. right, in Brazil. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not forgetting everything in this book. But um, about this kind of very almost anarchic, libertarian city where people kind of flock um, for like safe haven, but it's also kind of this become this kind of a, what would you like? A, it's like a, a religious commune. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And But the government is uh, not a fan of it. And so it's kind of a, a book about the tension between this, this city and the government and uh, a lot of characters involved, obviously, from both yeah. sides. It's really, really fascinating. And I hope hope I finish it really soon. It's, it's great, yeah. so I don't know why I haven't yet. But it's one of those that's just I had to kind of take a break. And Yeah, I think the great thing rest. about Yosa in that book is he's, he's making an inquiry. He's challenging everything, right? So there's mm-hmm. a socialist or communist who likes the idea of the city, but he hates the religion part of it. And then the priest who runs the city... Um, has some sort of his own issues that come come under investigation so it's a book where yosa really like applies difficult questions to every viewpoint on what's going on i love that book yeah yeah so i'm excited to finish it out hopefully cool (laughs) how are you Ian? well i'm actually going to the philippines tomorrow to be with my family for three weeks it's a long-awaited uh rest and um and but my mind will not Rest. I'm bringing a bunch of books with me. I'm really excited. There's some there's some books on my shelf that have been staring me down for a while, and I've always been like, no, I'll take this one instead. <laughs> you know. So. <laughs> yep. Um. Uh. But some of the books I'm going to read. I just today started a book by Robert Walzer. He's one of my favorite writers of fiction, and he also writes these little micro essays, like one or two pages. And he actually ended his writing career walking into a sanitarium and just saying, I'm. I'm going crazy. I need to be cared for. Um, and from then on, didn't write anything else. But while he was productive, oh. um, his writing feels like this like flash of lightning over a dark sea. Like There's this deep, deep sadness, but this kind of manic energy with which he absorbs the world around him and tries to illuminate oh. it with his own energy. And uh, the outcome are just these like flashes of uh, insight and... Um, beautiful, moving, very funny uh, passages, um, but you do you do get this deep sense of sadness underneath it. And uh, but I've always appreciated Walzer for that. Uh, mm-hmm. I may not be describing it as something anyone would want to read, but <laughs> I've always found there was a beauty in in like awesome. tremendous energy being used to briefly illuminate things. So awesome. um, I'm reading one of his called The Assistant, which is a novel, which um, I've only read one of his other novels, so I'm looking forward to that. There's a book by Hannah Arendt. I'm also not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's called Eichmann and the Holocaust. And it's it's a, a sort of treatise on the banality of evil, mm. like how if enough people put their heads down and just do their jobs, evil can go unchecked and actually advance wow. in our world. Um, That's so uh, very timely. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. Wow. I haven't uh, started it yet, but I'm going to I'm gonna uh, get into it pretty soon. But one of the big books that has been staring me down for a while is Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Um, and I've just, uh, as the textbook history, we've sort of 
taken for granted growing yeah. up uh, here in Georgia or for me in, an, in a small evangelical Christian school overseas. Um, I'm just questioning it, questioning yeah. that read of it and, and really interested in reading alternate uh, yeah. understandings of it. So I'm excited to read A People's History of the United States. Um, Keisha, you mentioned you had read this or you, you like this we, book? We actually started unschooling uh, our two youngest uh, boys about three years ago now. Okay. And we incorporated People's History with um, uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Okay. And we used that as we did a survey of um, American history. And I found it profound because it's not I don't know that the word alternate would be it's just the other side it's, yeah it's yeah. not uh, it's not necessarily a contradiction but it puts of the history that you've been told in in many ways yeah, right. it can be but it fills in the gaps and it empowers you to know that there have been people um quote unquote the common man yeah. who's been able to be the force of change and um, advancement in this country, mm-hmm. whereas that oftentimes is left out. So I think it does, it will challenge some of the things that yeah. you've been maybe holding to as, as true, but it also may inspire. So I found it inspirational. Once you get through yeah. American history to come <laughs> away inspired, that's that's a testament to Howard's in. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. I. You know, I normally will bring a thick book to read on the plane, but I'm I have my infant and my two year old son with me this time. So we're gonna see <laughs> we're see how much oh, of yeah. people's history we read. But yeah, I'm really that that idea is something we've talked about, uh, uh what what ordinary people can do is something mm. we're really looking at right now. Yeah. It's always been ordinary people who yeah. have uh, we're using that term broadly, I guess. But it's always <laughs> been the the little person who's who's invoked change or inspired change. It's never comes from the top down. So I think we lose sight of that. And Mm. it's understandable that that's not always what's promoted or made, made known that we do have more influence than when, when we rally together behind each other and behind um, a cause that change can come about that way. So yeah. Yeah. I'll, I won't. Wow. I'm trying not to speak too directly <laughs> to going. anything in no, the book no, because no. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, it's a great resource. Yeah, that's awesome. And the reason, actually, that kind of cultivation of ground up movements uh, is one of the reasons we were really excited to invite you and to mm-hmm. talk with you today. Yeah. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the exchange? What is it? What's what are you trying <laughs> to do there? And uh, why did you choose the title "Lead Cultivator" versus CEO? Uh, well, it's been an evo- yeah, it's been an evolution. CEO implies um, I don't know what it implies, but it's certainly not something that I wanted to to <laughs> label myself with. I'm very um, mindful of words and labels and names and how we how we use language to create meaning so CEO didn't feel like it it fit and um, the exchange started oh my goodness I want to say 2009-10 was when we started um, the organization and the idea was that we were going to um, just bring multicultural issues Uh, my background and I had in study was in sociocultural anthropology Uh, Mm. I started to go down that path and then had done some work with intercultural communications and started to go down that path and then um, I'm definitely one of those like many hats type of 
people. But none of those answers were fitting and had done some work around diversity issues. Um, I'm actually based in Gwinnett County. Okay. So um, I found such a diverse and vibrant space, but that was the same questions kept coming up. So being curious, I was turning, trying to figure out answers to make sense of things. And for me, books and study and, and education was a big way of trying to put history and the like just the sociology mm-hmm. of our community and how we structure and the systems that are in place into some make it in, into some sort of logical sense yeah and at the time when we started the exchange i i had the mindset that it needed to be celebrate and explore that these differences yeah. could be things that could be gl- we could glean from mm-hmm. um and as that work progressed um, on the personal aspect, the personal side of life, we bought a, a foreclosure fixer-upper and cleared. Um, I had taken up horseback riding as a, this is something mommy's just going to do for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I could get out of the house for a little while. It was going to be that or a martial art. And uh, Renee, my riding instructor, called back first. So I, I had this space where I was trying to learn how to be connected to the land again and how to nurture the land because coming from i call it a sub suburban subdivision mentality um even being from up upstate new york i really didn't know exactly what we were doing and we made we had a lot of missteps um i I laugh and say we're accidental farmers (laughs) and that i can tell you what not to do first but it's been a good journey yeah and um through all that we've moved away from this idea of celebrate and explore because as i began to get an understanding of what those systems and structures were and as much as we have this rich tapestry in this diverse community we're so siloed and that's not Mm. i don't that that is the result of um ta-nehisi coates say these are the result of done policies these are not things Mm. that just accidentally occurred and inadvertently when we use we choose to celebrate or explore it we can cherry pick and that inadvertently um can serve to uphold and maintain the very thing that you're trying to disrupt so now we just co-create space we invite people in and we do work from the farm Mm -hmm. on the land hands on the land and we explore what does it mean to be human what does it mean to look at each other through um a not an us versus them lens but how do we begin to kind of develop that that concept of ubuntu and um build on this idea that to your to what you were talking about earlier that we as people can influence change Mm -hmm. um so and being connected and tied to the land and to one another and to the food that we produce yeah. all seems to fit. So it's been yeah. an evolution. I don't know if that answers your question directly, oh, no, but <laughs> it's, it, it's, it hasn't been a linear yeah. path. It's not been a straight oh, journey. It's totally. been an interesting. Did you have an interest in farming beforehand or did this kind of just fall on your lap? Like, is <laughs> I had an interest in about in food past? beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I really am a big fan that, of food. That but, makes people better, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that I thought I was going to um, 
ever be a farmer. I mean, even my family laughs, but I have always, awesome. yeah, my family, it's, it, my mom reminds me that it skipped a generation. So, <laughs> um, she grew up, uh, both my parents were preacher's kids. Mm. So, and, and then my mom is now, um, an ordained minister. She was a chaplain for many years and she now is a, uh, elder minister. So wow. I feel like there was this idea around faith and community mm -hmm. and wow. understanding the context and history of the black church in um, American, you know, the American South. Yeah. There, we did, there was the time where it was natural to feed each other. And mm -hmm. there was, yeah. you know, a benevolence jar and they come by and you'd hear the needs of whoever it was in the community and the pastor would decide how much and was allotted to who and for what purpose and yeah, yeah. all of that kind of, I think were stories that I don't remember necessarily that was just a kind of a presence or influence. Yeah. And my aunt is nine, my, my great aunt is 93, 92, 93. And she's in Lexington, North Carolina, and she still raises cattle on her farm. And wow. I told her, I, I don't know if I officially am a farmer. And, you know, I don't know what that what constitutes because, you know, we're just beginning to become more community based and starting to take things to market mm -hmm. and exploring doing it where we can sustain others on, on a on a public on a public level. Wow. But she she assured me that if I'm milking a goat or if my son's milking a goat every morning and we're collecting eggs, that at some level that counts as farming. So I'm going <laughs> to take great. it. No, yeah, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> Own it. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, and like, there's worse things. Yeah. For were, sure. there, were there books, like as you were sort of discovering farming, it sounds mm. like farming is not, it's, it's beautiful because it's both practical and philosophical, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it is the by far the hardest thing I've ever done, and yet the most rewarding thing. Uh -huh. And it's um, in some ways been my salvation. So oh, wow. when we started, when I started, um, we had our land cleared um, and hired some people and interviewed and had gotten a contract and stuff. But they really had done more damage to the property and to the land. Um, and, and I'm not, I will steer away from what their intent may have been, but it was not a good experience for us. And we were left with a lot of erosion problems and issues. And I, at that point, had to be a steward over what I had been entrusted with. Mm -hmm. And yeah. nature most certainly does not need my assistance, but I should learn how to be a partner. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. she, she'll figure out how to heal what needs to be healed without, you know, my interference but then I began to understand what it meant to cultivate yeah. and to really be kind of connected um, with soil health and mm -hmm. getting the vitality of back and you we couldn't approach it like it was a subdivision yeah. mentality it wasn't just our yard it was this little slice of of land that needed inputs and yeah. um, actually just needed kind of a, a connection, a human touch yeah. and in partnership. So it sounds kind of, you know, romantic in a sense, but it's hard. It's really hard work. <laughs> so I started reading Joel Salatin at first because I think oh, a lot yeah. of the farm, my farm friends um, at the time, they kind of pointed me that way. And then I took a permaculture design course and began to get, be plugged into some of these um, ideas. But then as that intersected with my studies for anthropology and sociology and just 
talking with people, I began to un uncover that there was indigenous practices, that these are age old practices and that we have a kind of a maybe a Western mindset of ownership of mm -hmm. different ways things should be done. And yeah. I've since been doing more reading and um, just kind of I guess it's not necessarily reading in books, but more search and research around agroecology and just practices for I mean, there's a million ways to grow there's yeah. you know it's all boils down to the same thing but there's so many different ways to go about it mm -hmm. um so what works in our space is very specific to our space so yeah, it's yeah. it doesn't always the same thing's not always needed from site to site so we yeah. try to keep that in in mind yeah I know there's been a connection historically between farms and activism, like Koinonia farms, mm -hmm. um, yeah. different communities like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Was was there some was there some sort of literature that helped you see that connection between what you're trying to do with like trying to help people be fully really human, right? Yeah. Right. Well, and connecting with <laughs> cultivating the earth. Well, I'm a Wendell Berry fan, so that <sighs> he's uh -huh. he's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's a couple other uh, poets, and I'm gonna. My mom would be so mad at me because I'm not gonna remember their names. <laughs> I'm I'm terrible with names. But um, Soulfire Farm in New York. Mm -hmm. um, I had an opportunity to do um, some work up there and support their Black and Latino um, farm program. Farm. Uh, and one of the books that they gave me was Harvesting Justice, mm. oh, and wow. there was some that was really. Um, kind of just a statistical breakdown and strategic breakdown, I guess, of the way forward in the history that's there. And then just reading about, you know, Pigford case and other things like that, where how black bodies and people of color have had such a long legacy in history um, connected to the land. And I think we all all people are really connected from the land and some of the problems that we're seeing are really as a result of that disconnect mm -hmm. um, and this idea that we don't um, I, I actually have folks who I love dearly but refuse to walk in the grass and just don't like to go outside yeah. and don't don't want to be part of nature and yeah. that actually is another book um, that I that I was just recommended Richard Louvre. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Last Child in the Woods. Mm -hmm. And it's an exploration around saving children from what he terms nature deficiency disorder. Yeah. Um, and I think all of those things kind of, I don't know that I have one clear train of thought or one school of thought that I adopt, but I, I do see that there's so many connections between what people are writing and people saying about being disconnected from the land, the history and the ways that we have misused not only each other, but the land as well. Mm -hmm. And then trying to make that a healing space and a restorative space. Yeah. So did that yeah. answer your... Yeah. yeah, it did. It was great. I was, I, Wendell Berry was, I guess, my introduction and I, I might have nature deficiency or whatever that is. <laughs> um, I do a lot of trail running. That's the horseback. What horseback riding was yeah. for you is what trail running is for mm -hmm. me. Um, Barry Lopez is another writer I like, and he talks a lot about landscape and mm -hmm. our relation to it. And one of the things he says is that is that like, uh, I this isn't a quote. This is an idea I've gleaned from his work. But that mm -hmm. 
but that the way we relate to other people is often uh, mm-hmm. exactly the same mm-hmm. as the way we re- relate to the land. I can absolutely cool. understand. So wow. if other people are tools to our own success or um, if their job is to provide things for us and there's right. no fair exchange or right. loving exchange, um, right. yeah. then the land is miserable and our relationships yeah. are broken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so wow. uh, that's and why I was excited. Who is that writer? Uh, Barry Lopez. Yeah. He's yeah. Um, like the best. He writes for Harper's a lot. Okay. And uh, he's done work. He's a renowned biologist and a poet and a philosopher and a, a good It's kind of like, like everything rolled into yeah. one. It's really uh, infuriating Yeah, how good he is at everything. No. <laughs> but, I like that. I actually was trying to remember the name... Ellen Davis, I believe, um, I was able to listen to her in an interview with um, Krista Tippett on On Being, was another podcast that I enjoy, mm-hmm. and she was exploring the biblical um, connections between agriculture, culture, and food, and how, and community, yeah. and so I picked up her book, and it, it was an insightful read. Um, I feel like how we perceive our relationship, um, the way that she describes it, is having versus having dominion and rule over the earth, but more skillful mastery over mm-hmm. and stewardship. And I feel like that needs to be more of the attitude that we adopt, that yeah. we are in relationship and we're caretakers. Mm-hmm. We're not strictly rulers. And um, John Powell of the Haas Institute actually has done or shared research, I'm not sure if he's led the research, but around um, the mentality that we see so prevalent today that we no longer see ourselves as um, guardians mm-hmm. for one another, but more oh, wow. as warriors and yeah. and defenders and yeah. these fighters. And it's a, sh- it's a shift. Wow. And I think of that like as a mother yeah. and as a parent, I know we yeah. like to look to the dad and the ma- or the the male figure in the household who yeah. is the the guard or the the one who's going to protect. But I know some of the fiercest <laughs> protection I've ever had is when I've seen the few times I've seen women really be oh, like yeah. defending mm-hmm. their baby. Oh, Mama yeah. bear. So thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't want any of that. Yeah. So I um, awesome. I I think that there's got to be that balance that's that kind of tender loving that mm-hmm. fierce tender yeah. loving care I don't know if those go together but that's yeah. the way I kind of yeah no, I remember I growing it. up there was a time when uh, as an adult uh, I grew up in sort of a tight uh, evangelical environment and I remember all the metaphors I grew up hearing were b- battle metaphors yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then later, when I reapproached it, this was during a time when I had lost faith. When mm-hmm. I reapproached, I was just reading to see what was said there, um, sort of apart from being part of the community. And there were all these like a mustard seed slowly growing into a tree, or the yeah. yeast mm-hmm. that's kneaded into the bread. That's what the kingdom of heaven was like. It changed. It it was like the metaphors you use really Language show you shapes. how to yeah, understand yeah. or think about things and. The, um, I was surprised at how much of the language I missed because yeah. of the culture that was that was teaching yeah. me about it. Yeah. At yeah. that time, so. Man, so can you? Uh, so you you went you briefly talked about a little bit ago about the exchange. One of my, I was just blown away with this quote. It was on your Facebook, your cover photo 
not that I was stalking or anything, but just to <laughs> get info. We you know? our homework. We put it, we put it up homework. there for people yeah. to read. So exactly. it's good. Yeah. We've got at least one person who's read it. That's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, the, the quote is, the ultimate goal of farming is not the growing of crops, but the cultivation and perfection of human beings. And I feel like yeah. that's kind of like what this whole conversation is like, yeah. been moving toward. Like that's kind of the overarching idea. Um, the exchange itself, I was so just amazed by the 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 idea of the hospitality, the bridge building, community building, mm-hmm. how like specifically or like, th- how have you been able to do that through through the farm? Like what are some examples? And uh, it just, cause it just sounds like a beautiful idea. Well, yeah. I love that it's taken on this shape. It, I don't know that it was a deliberate and an intentional thing. And, and that's probably why it mm-hmm. makes, yeah. works the way that it <laughs> yeah. does but the farm is actually separate the farm is high hog farm mm-hmm. and the exchange was oh, wow. the work that we started around uh community building and multicultural oh, nice. um education and arts appreciation and diversity work okay, um, okay, okay. and the two have blended because as i began to approach difficult conversations and mm-hmm. facilitating um space just opening up the space for hospitality and for that exploration of mm-hmm you know, perfection of human beings, like, yeah. like, as if that's an attainable thing. Let's, <laughs> let's be clear. I'm not, I'm not, not under any cloud of delusion, but that's the goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The farm stood out as the thing that would draw people in and it mm. was that common oh, denominator. So yeah. we offer cooking classes and we share stories through the cultured mm. kitchen. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, open community farm days uh, during the farm, during the season, uh, where we will host, uh, we we do hands on the land and some work in the morning, and then we host a community potluck lunch. Um, we serve lunch for whoever shows up. And then this was the first year that we started the Ubuntu program, mm-hmm. which is was a pilot program around um, an exploration of othering and belonging. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of Ubuntu. I'm not. Yeah, I'm okay. no, here. Well, Ubuntu was popularized. It's a. It's actually a long-standing South African. I believe it stems from Zou, the. I want to say the Bantu people, but I'm. I may be wrong. But from, out of Zimbabwe, um, you can fact-check me on, on my geography <laughs> afterwards. But it means um, it was popularized by Nelson Mandela and uh, Desmond Tutu. It means I am only human because you are human. Or my humanity is a result of our humanity. I, yeah. oh. I'm only me because of you. Yeah. Um, and there, that is a, a theme that comes up in cultures throughout the world that, and, and I feel like mm, somehow has been lost here. We have a very individualistic society mm-hmm. versus a collective society. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna steer away from some of the intercultural jargon and just try to um, paint a picture where we think, you know, this idea, I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. And we act like our being and our value comes from our individual intellect. And that couldn't be any further from the truth. We really, Mm. our humanity is shaped by those around us and Mm -hmm. who we are in relationship with. So the program was an exploration from history, the tools that we need the soil, what's in the soil, the roots that have spread, and then what do we want to bring forth? What are the seeds that we want to that we want to see bear fruit? And mm-hmm. how do we move that 
And I'm not sure that we've in this <laughs> come up with any concrete answers, but we have a small cohort of, it turns out to be, it was ironic. It was a lot of women who tend, who were actually interested in public health and women's reproductive health. And that wasn't, I think, an intentional thing, but the idea was they were interested in participating and going on this journey Mm-hmm. as a result of how is our food and our health and our connection to the land, how does that actually help us physically? Yeah. And um, we've, we've, we have our last class tomorrow, as a matter of fact, um, and it'll be the end of the, the season, and then we'll go back to just doing farm field trips and things. Yeah. So that's how we've kind of gotten to using the farm and the work in unison or in tandem. Mm-hmm. Um and those are the heavy aspects, but most of the time we're goofing around. It yeah. really, it, like, it sounds really deep, but I feel like I needed to pause and, and just be clear. <laughs> Half the time it, it's, you know, playing in the dirt, playing in the mud, um, laughing around the, you know, we st- everybody gathers in the kitchen and my kitchen isn't, you know, this big space. The living mm-hmm. room should be where we should hang out, but we congregate yeah. there and we, we just have a good time and yeah. we explore life together yeah. so well i loved in like when in looking at your side the vision and the mission all that involved that as well play it involved fun and play yeah and that was all a core part of it too which was really really uh, just great to see it was really but neat aspect before we started doing anything officially it was it was actually a struggle trying to put the exchange into a like follow a model because what we had done is we had opened our doors in the past for furlough missionaries we just had hospitality space you know people are in town or um at one point the georgia council for international visitors you'd host a dinner or you'd connect with people and you'd try to have people come and stay so that Mm. we could exchange i think the exchange thing has always been a big part of my heart and having three kids and being kind of (laughs) you know i want to i don't want to say homebound but at the time when they were younger you know my oldest just turned 20 so they're not babies anymore. <laughs> that was hard for me yeah. to want to be able to connect. Yeah. And it was important to be able to have that space. So the exchange was kind of trying to make that a formal thing. Yeah. And it's really just kind of where we live and be. And we yeah. invite people to come and be part of that journey. And we do it around food. Yeah, that's So awesome. <laughs> there's always a lot of yeah. fun. No, that's awesome. A lot, of the, a lot of the people who are doing a lot of good, we had a guest on here who works with Friends of Refugees, and, and he was saying, like, m- most of what we do is presence. We have to present the work somehow, and there's mm-hmm. good work to share in, but, but presence is the real thing that makes a difference yeah. for people. And I think that... Yeah. But I like the idea that there's some kind of... There's some kind of, like, why the kitchen versus the living room? Well, because you're doing something together, and that's cool. Yeah. I think that's, like, really meaningful. That's it's the wonderful. being that's important, but you have a task around which to gather. Yeah, and there's, we're making yeah. goat milk ice cream, so I mean, oh, you can't oh, help man. but, like, <laughs> want to get your hands in that. I mean, so, we yeah. should have recorded I mean, that. I know. Why? What are we doing here? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you're, you're and, welcome to come up to the farm. Oh, and Keisha's brought samples. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should have. No, I no, have. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, but we've, been, so, we've actually talked about, right before we started recording, uh, Talked about. Uh, uh, Tim's wife and I uh, uh, care for a youth group here oh. uh, in this in a church right uh, less than a mile away, and we thought, man, it would be great just to get the kids out there. 
Yeah, yeah. we would That's awesome. love that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, having kids come to the farm makes I just light up. I love that. <laughs> that that it, I I tend to get a bunch of adults who will bring their kids and then get their kids to ask me, you know, what that vegetable is that's growing over there because <laughs> they don't want to ask me directly. But yeah, for sure, um, we would love to. We'd love to open our doors and we do field trips. So awesome. bring the kids. Awesome. Yeah, and speaking of kids, you mentioned your kids. Was was the was the beginning of your journey into farming? Um, did that uh, intersect with their sort of childhood, and how did it change hmm. their lives Ooh. growing up? <laughs> okay, well, wow. Um, I, I and it's I I want to give you like a rosy, happy answer. My oldest, when we bought the place, it wasn't cleared. There was no fencing established. It was all that. And we're still doing infrastructure. I mean, it, wow. we're, we're starting a farm from yeah. the ground up. And it was a humble start for sure. Um, but he being, you know, the older one, he was, we, we say he has a PhD. He's um, an expert with the post hole digger. So he, <laughs> awesome. he was in charge of, you know, using his brawn. And I think he's developed an appreciation for it for sure but it's not you know he's an environmental science major now mm-hmm. in school and yeah. i've asked him if he would ever have a farm and he says yeah if they had a barn and fencing already he, he would consider it <laughs> but there has to be with uh, with him doing that there has to have been some influence there there he's no stranger to hard work none of the boys are stranger to hard work and and yeah. my husband and i have always had the mindset that we're not you know they're not little boys but we're raising men and i don't think that um we ever tried to shelter them from being uh, being able to work and being able to develop that agency to be able to think for themselves and be independent Mm -hmm. my middle one my second you know my second child abraham he's struggled a little bit with the adjustment because he is my like he's he's he thinks in 3d he's an architect he's a very linear thinker and he has this brilliant way of seeing the world but he likes efficiency and he likes consistency and the farm does not (laughs) facilitate (laughs) that for him at all so it's been a transition but i think as and he's very social so he's he's the one that everybody just you know gravitates towards naturally yeah um and as more of his friends have wanted to come here to the farm or come over to the farm it's been it's developed us a little bit of cool points for him yeah. so it's been easier and the younger one was small enough when we moved and because it's been six years now yeah so he 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 loves it he's actually my goat guru he makes goat milk soap and he milks the goat every day <laughs> and awesome. he complains <laughs> about it when it's cold or when it's raining yeah. but if you say hey you know i'll do it for you he doesn't want you to touch his goat that's his goat oh so, <laughs> like you might mess it up and you're so like, that's he, fine yeah with yeah me. yeah i'm good with that i'm good with that but yeah he doesn't he's not afraid of anything either that one right there is the one you know he does that's flips awesome. and backflips every and isn't afraid of anything so it's good for them I think it's good for them even if they don't always love it and yeah. that's yeah. okay that's yeah awesome man that's amazing so so we so this this past spring I started a garden Ooh. very small scale I mean it's like you know 20 by 30 feet I mean it's not much um, but it's the first time I mean I've, I've done it in the past but very cavalierly very just like we'll just throw some seeds out see what happens and turned out okay you know whatever but this is the first time we really like tilled the ground. Like we really kind of started okay. getting involved. Didn't know what we're doing, but like you said, it's it's provided so like so many unique opportunities. It's teaching kids how to mm-hmm. do it, like getting them interested in it. 
um, getting to know neighbors better, finding out what the vegetables they, you know, providing food for other people. It's kind of done a lot. Uh, just even our little tiny space has been amazing. Wow. But we still feel like we're like, don't know what we're doing at all. <laughs> um, is there advice that you might have for people maybe that can't go quite as, as uh, long scale, as big scale as a farm, but maybe in their small backyards, just want to do something Absolutely. to reach out to the community? Just what you described. Yeah, yeah just grab some seeds yeah, <laughs> and grow something yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's there's this idea that it has to be something grand but mm. if you can get some dirt that will stay in a container yeah. and then uh, just enough rain or water and sunlight for it to grow mm. you'd be amazed what you can yield seeds yeah. to me are like i have this love affair with seeds that mm -hmm. just they're amazing to me that mm -hmm. something so tiny can be that you know loaded oh, yeah. with oh, yeah. power but yeah um you can get um you can get pretty creative with your mm -hmm. growing space raised boxes um mm. a lot of folks that i know have those pellet boxes the collapse that they have the hinges on the end i can't remember yeah, what they're um, called there's a specific I've name heard, we were look i was looking that up and i don't remember now they're stackable uh, yeah yeah and you can do that and put some potting soil in there and grab what you want to grow and put it in there um space considerations you can grow vertically now um yeah. but really even herbs herbs are pretty mm. in my experience herbs are pretty forgiving they don't yeah. they can tolerate marginal soil they just need drainage you yeah. don't have to have anything really you don't need an abundance of compost i mean mm -hmm. what you can do yeah. when you add on is good but yeah it shouldn't be a deterrent to start so Oh. Um, I've even found last year we actually let the land sit. We were doing some, oh, we've been wow. doing some soil mm -hmm. remediation. So we didn't grow intensively. Um, we focused on the pasture area, the front pasture to get that in shape. Oh. And the back pasture is what we're working on now while we're growing. But we let it sit and there was seed still left. And I'll tell you, I had some volunteer tomatoes that were better than the ones that I wow. spend all that time and energy out there cultivating. So I don't know if that was, you That's know, awesome. like a little rub, if I should take that the wrong way. But I was happy to, to still be able to get um, a yield from it. So, yeah. Yeah, there was there, there was one. I mean, this is back again, back now we're more serious, but in the past, just throwing out seeds. And we tried to plant strawberries. And like the first year, we were like, it was just nothing happened. We were really bummed. And we just kind of forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the next year, they just kind of popped up again. You look, oh, and we're just hey. like, these yeah. old guys, you know, we, and they were great. I mean, they were small oh, hey, or whatever. But they were, yeah. yeah, it was just one of those like happy surprises, <laughs> yeah. like strawberries, they're back. And so it was a really, really great, I don't know, it was just a, a nice surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask both of y'all this question. Uh -oh. Do you have, are there books like, so I have, my kids are just getting old enough to where they can mm -hmm. start to comprehend the stories. Are there books you can read with your kids that are really Ooh. good to sort of give them an idea of, the value of cultivating. I've I've got one. Well, it's it's a lot it's a lot more of a kind of ballpark like look at gardening. It's called I'm gonna get the name wrong, but it's it's something either anywhere farm or, or anywhere garden every everywhere farm everywhere garden one of those titles. Sorry. So just Google those. And Google. Yeah. It's like it's like anywhere garden or something. But basically establishing this idea like you can do it in your backyard. You can do it in a box. You can plant anything anywhere. And then it's a beautiful book because at the end they kind of go through and explain all this in the same. So maybe, you know, an anywhere garden can become an everywhere garden, and you just see gardens all mm -hmm. over these neighborhoods. You know, that's kind of the final illustration. There's just gardens everywhere. Like 
no there's no space in between it's just yeah flowers plants vegetables. Well, it kind of ruined beautiful. the ending for me but oh <laughs> spoiler <kidding>. alert spoiler <laughs> <laughs> no but it's a it's a great book and okay it's uh something the kids and it's really enjoy it's a funny it's the rhymes the kids really enjoy yeah uh rhyming it, it was a really great book for that but it was definitely it wasn't didn't really teach much but just kind of really introduced the concept and how easy it is which is really encouraging for me because yeah. <laughs> i like easy <laughs> yes yeah, I, I don't know any other titles. I think I missed that age okay. of being able to sit mm. and knowing some good good reads with kids, but I would be very interested in seeing what you just suggested. Or it's a beautiful, it's a with. really great book. And we'll put it, also, we have a Goodreads list um, associated with each episode, so all the books our guest today mm-hmm. has mentioned and that we have mentioned uh, will show up on this Goodreads list so people That's can awesome. find that out. So, Keisha, I guess before we before we go, before we get to the big bonus question, we want to know, can you point people at how they can get involved, like maybe a website they can visit, a way they can find out more about the exchange and High Hog Farm and ways Absolutely. to maybe visit? I think that will be amazing. Yeah, you can go to um, our, our sites are linked, so you mm-hmm. can go to High Hog, and it's H-I-G-H-H-O-G dot farm. Um, and you can find us on Facebook. We use Facebook and Instagram quite a bit. So at um, Exchange MC. Exchange awesome. MC. Okay. Yes. And Great. High Hog Farm. So you can find us um, both Facebook and Instagram that way. Okay. Awesome. Great. Well, the bonus question is um, if someone <laughs> who has no experience gardening or farming wants to begin to get a glimpse into what it's like having a farm, uh, what's what's the sort of one book you'd recommend for them just to get peek into the world oh gosh um oh it's a high stakes question on practical standpoint what's a high stakes question because i'd like to get that book (laughs) (laughs) i'm interested um oh my goodness that's a tough one um i feel like i should i feel like i should point you like i i don't want to But you should probably start with the Joel Salatin book. Um, And I can't believe I'm recommending him off the top. I don't have any. I love Joel Salatin, (laughs) but I think that there's probably some better ones, but I can't think of anything. I will plug a different book. If you ever get a chance to read The Color of Food, um, Natasha Bowens, I believe I got that name right. Bowens? Borden. Bowens? She wrote... um, a great book about stories of race resilience in farming and it does give you some insights wow. into into how oh, farming is wow. done but it's done from a wow, perspective the perspective of people of color and the contributions that are made and it helps tie in past present and future that's so okay. this is a great read i don't know how much that's gonna <laughs> lead you to know how to you know get your hands in the dirt but there's so many resources that yeah. are not necessarily in book form you can call your extension office you can call you know your local NRCS art office and just get information that way. Yeah. YouTube. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know we're talking books, but that's, I, yeah. I, I guess I that's have, probably the only thing I can think I just of. Scratch that YouTube from the record. Yeah. 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 Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. No, I just use YouTube recently. So we've, you know, obviously we've, we only have, we have a bunch of tomato plants and of course they're just exploding. You know, there's oh. too many tomatoes. And so I've just YouTubed how to uh, pickle green tomatoes. So 
And I tried really? it a couple of days ago, so we'll see the turnout in a couple of weeks. We'll see how it goes. Nice. Yeah, please let uh, me know because I have I a number. It, tomatoes have been hard this year because it's been so rainy and overcast. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of tomatoes, but they won't ripen. I'm like, turn <laughs> red. And I don't like to, that you have to wait for the bottom to get at least a little bit of white mm-hmm. before the they'll start to, the color will start to set. Yeah. So it's a race it's a battle between me and we we don't use any type of um, you know chemicals so mm-hmm. me and hand picking caterpillars and little pests away oh, to protect yeah. them it's yeah. been it's been a dance so <laughs> yeah let oh, me know no. how that recipe goes i could Definitely. go and harvest a bunch today yeah. when i get back yeah awesome and thank you for that record the color of food that sounds amazing that yeah. sounds like a great book it's a good it's a really good go-to oh, it's wow. inspiration and yeah you think gosh you know my my grandma's been doing this forever, and she makes it look easy. You know, there's nothing to it. And yeah. <laughs> if you can st- if you can stand the Georgia heat, you can mm-hmm. you can grow. Awesome, Keisha. Thank you so much. This oh, has yeah. been a great wonderful. conversation. Um, so, uh, man, again, theexchangemc.com and Facebook. Yes. Is it MC.com. Yeah. Yes. Exchangemc.com and so, highhog.farm. Yeah. So visit her website, but then also if you're in the Atlanta area, go visit her in person. Go, yeah, go see the farm, up. and uh, man, and we're we're yeah. looking forward to doing that, hopefully soon. <laughs> and if you want to cultivate your mind, uh, be sure to stop in here at Atlanta Vintage yes. Books, where we record all our episodes live. Um, and if you come in and buy books uh, because you heard this podcast mm. or you are a listener of this podcast. Um, and you also happen to shop here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just say Tim and Ian sent you, and they'll give you a 10% uh, discount yeah, on whatever very, you buy. So generous. Very I'm generous, really, yeah. yeah. But they just really believe in community here, yeah. and so we're thankful to be here at Atlanta Vintage Books Definitely. as well. As well, if you want to um, look us up online, our website is whatareyoureadingpodcast.com, and from there you'll find our Facebook page, our Goodreads page, where you can get Including if there's any books we mentioned you were really curious about, just go there. They'll be on a bookshelf, and you can kind of look through and uh, see what you want to read next. Um, we also are on Instagram, so check that out. Also, if you uh, really have a strong desire, go to iTunes and our page there and rate and review us. That really helps us out a lot, and it means a great deal to us. We really love to hear those. It's really yeah. encouraging. And also, what... if you're unsure what number of stars to give us, we recommend oh, five. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we highly recommend um and it's one of those, like, you know, if I'm having a, a really bad day at work, I'll just go to iTunes and I'll click over and like, oh, look at those five Read the stars. positive reviews, ah. yeah. <laughs> It'll, it really brings me up, my self-esteem, when, uh, when I need it the most. So, <laughs> anyways, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to uh, end with a quote, as always. And I'm going to, you know, when I was looking at this quote, I realized I don't know if I've ever said this uh, author's name out loud. So, is it Madeline Langle? 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 Oh, I don't... I was I always I, said Langle. Langle. There we go. Madeline Langle. And it's one of those I didn't realize until I was thought about the show. Like no. I've talked I mean, I've read her books. I've, i but I've never said her name, I don't think. There's an apostrophe. It's gotta be Langle. Langle. <laughs> this quote is uh by Madeline Langle, and it is a book too can be a star. Explosive material capable of stirring up fresh life endlessly, a living fire to lighten the darkness, leading out into the expanding universe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>